Welcome to Shit We Do For Love, the podcast where we delve deep into the gap between our human need for love and connection and our secret belief that we're not really good enough to be loved. This gap has us forever trapped in people-pleasing, procrastination and perfection and all sorts of nonsense as we try to measure up and be the person we've been told is worthy of love, all the while missing the truth about how amazing we already are. I'm your host, the Love Your Bloody Self coach, Wendy Windle. Fancy having boundaries that get back time for you? Then head to wendywindle.com to pick up your free guide, because never having time for ourselves is just some more shit we do for love. Hello, love. I adore this conversation so much. I sat down with Sora Schilling to find out about the shit we do for love being cutting ourselves off from our own intuition. But we ended up having a much deeper conversation about spirituality and what that even means and how to be connected to deeper truths about who we are and how we operate in the world, in a world that's trying to keep us shallow. And it's no surprise, really, that we went there. Let me introduce you to Sora. Sora Schilling is a sacred space holder, strategy alchemist, transformative business coach, powerful medicine woman, energy healer, international retreat leader, inspirational speaker, fire igniter, heart whisperer, and world traveler. As a spiritual energy coach, Sora is here to guide coaches and luminaries to create a prosperous new world through energy work mindset archetypes and a devoted way. Sora works with sovereign spiritual folks to incorporate the art of feeling sacred on their priestess path through earth-based practices. Sora blends real-world experience with mystical transformation, ritualistic practices, inner reflection, and innovative circle work to help luminaries create great impact with their communities. Oh. No wonder then, when you ask this woman to share her thoughts about intuition, you get a whole lot more. Oh, love. Please enjoy this deep chat that actually starts off with me getting schooled. So if you're laboring under the misapprehension that I might have my shit together, well, first of all, you never heard that from me. And second of all, listen in because I'm about to get coached. As usual, when grown-ups talk about important stuff, our language might get a bit spicy. No offense is intended. Sora Schilling, welcome so much to Shit We Do For Love. And I've actually only just realized that saying Sora Schilling, welcome to Shit We Do For Love, is quite the tongue twister. So thank you for getting my mouth warmed up already for this part. I'm so excited to have you here. I have to fangirl for a moment for those listening. Sora was one of the lead trainers in my coaching training. So this feels like I'm getting to sit at the feet of somebody who I really admire and respect. And I cannot wait for her to get into her downloads that will come for you all listening to this podcast. The shit we do for love today that we're really getting into is as women, we tend to stop listening to our intuition. We stop honoring that deep knowing within ourselves at the great expense of ourselves and our personal power and reject it in favor of listening to people outside of ourselves. And they're not always, they don't always come in a masculine form. We can listen to our mothers too much or our female teachers too much. But basically, anytime we have stopped listening to that voice inside in order to listen to a voice outside, that is some shit we do for love. 
Sora, what happens when we stop listening to ourselves? Well, firstly, let's talk about that and what you said when you first started, because I think that's that has the crux to what us as women end up um, being so programmed into, which was there was this space of I can feel your your love and respect for myself and my work, which I'm so humbled by. So thank you so much. And then you said sitting at the feet of, and I was like, no, because I will sit there right by your feet then, because there's no way that I'm putting myself on a pedestal whatsoever when it comes to, yes, I was a trainer, but that has no uh, bearings to Wendy, your ability to you do your work or the wisdom that you have. And often I find as women, we put ourselves in the spaces of comparison, not necessarily that one is our consciously thinks that one is better than the other, but there is this hierarchical nature that we have stepped into since our birth. And we have been told that there are people that will be better or wiser than us. And then especially as women told we were always less than. And so, of course, we stop listening to our intuition, because if we are less than and we have to look to external forces, how do we possibly listen to our internal guiding system? So I wanted to just preface that first. Wow. But anyone listening that has never had a coach, that is what coaching looks and feels like being very lovingly and gently called out on limiting beliefs that you didn't even realize you had. Sora, thank you so much for starting with that. Yes, that feeling of you, when I met you, you were in the position of being my teacher. And I hadn't realized that by putting you up on a pedestal like that, I'm actually cutting off a valuable heart-to-heart conversation, right? Because to do that, I'm actually repressing myself and assuming that I have less to say and less to bring to the table than you. Yeah. And I know that you have incredible downloads and I have so much respect for you and know that you have information and guidance that I equally would love to receive. And so I don't know about, you know, being that coach of yours, but what I do hope is that this is the way for us in conversation when it comes to leading our intuition in healing the wounds of us as women is we get to be honest with one another. We get to be crunchy. We get to like be vulnerable. We get to talk about, no, I don't want to be you by the side of my feet. I want us to be crisscrossed together, holding each other's knees, chatting with one another and talking about our feels um, because that is what I know I crave. And that's one thing that I constantly heal when it comes to friendship wounds myself. Ooh, talk to me about, there are two things that you just said that made my little ears prick up. Crunchy, explain, and friendship wounds. Sure, crunchy. Crunchy when something feels uncomfortable. When it is uncomfortable and there's a little bit of um, dissonance in your field. And so you notice that uh, you want to kind of shy away from the discomfort And instead, what if the crunchiness was almost a sound that woke you up to the ability to look forward and meet whatever discomfort was in front of you and voice it in a in a loving, compassionate way so that two hearts can begin to have a better way of communicating and commuting together. So that's crunchy. (laughs) I do use that word a lot. I love it. And it's so satisfying because once you get through the crunch, like having like a really good carrot, the crunch is satiating. There's something to it that I find very um, pleasing, you know, in in the uncomfortable way. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other question you had, I forgot. Oh, me too. That crunchy was so good. Friendship wounds. Oh, friendship wounds. <laughs> <laughs> yes, friendship wounds. Well, I don't know about you, but when I was younger, I had um, a dear, dear friend who was going through her own experience with life at a very young age in her family. But being young, I didn't really understand what was going on. And she had no outlet for her anger and for her confusion and her wanting to share how possibly unsafe she was feeling in her home. And so she directed that anger and that pain and that rage towards myself. Now, that doesn't have to be the case. Others have been bullied or they have been, um, you know, gossiped about or there's other things that might have happened. But especially what I've noticed in the years of working specifically with women is that we do have that pain and that discomfort around, will I be accepted and safe in an environment with other women without having to put a mask on? And so rather than listening to my own internal light instead of learning how to embrace myself and you know intuitively gauge what I desire to say, how I want to show up, who am I, I tended to shapeshift into the environment so that I was not seen as much, so that there wouldn't be any spotlight directed on me, which therefore then meant that hopefully there was no rage or or you know uh, negativity that would come my way. And so I do find a lot of that within our world is also a place where it dims our intuition because we don't feel, we are scared, we try our hardest to blend in, and we still feel like we're on the fringe, but we don't know what to do with it. Mm. I love this, these two concepts being held together, this crunchiness and friendship wounds. Because for me, I think in relationship with our sisters, with our friends, is where we can get really crunchy, right? And we've all had that feeling of talking to a sister, just like being in conversation and something comes up and it's that tightening, that constriction and our habitual response to it is to place on that mask, right? And it's so great to talk to you because my habitual mask is the opposite. My habitual mask isn't dimming to fit in. Mine is here comes the clowns. I'm going to entertain you. I'm going to make sure you're having fun. I'm going to shove food in front of you. I'm going to suggest we go out and drink tequila. You're going to have the best time ever with me because I can't handle this feeling that I'm actually not accepted here. I'm not okay as I am. And they're both a curse, right? Yeah, they really are. One of the most terrifying things I did when I was, I believe I was about 20. No, I was 34 at the time, I believe. 34. And I was in a group setting with all women. And I can feel this friction with this particular person. We had just all met. We were all trying to get to know each other and be likable, right? That weird space within a circle where you don't Mm -hmm. know each other. And And there's this one person I could just feel we were just not jiving. Like we were very much in the space of um, dissonance. And so I remember towards the end of our time together, I literally walked up to her shaking and I looked her in the eyes and I said, listen, I feel like we are not 
we're not vibrating in the same place. And we are going to be together on a year long journey. And I have the full, full trust that we are supposed to be great friends, but we are a mirror for one another. And I'm sharing this from a very vulnerable spot. And I'm just wondering if the next time we meet, if you would be open to carving out even an hour for us to hang. Mm. And she looked at me with these wide eyes and she goes, I felt it too. And you must be a direct mirror because I am lowercase T triggered by you throughout this entire day. And I know you're an amazing person and you're right. We need to figure this out. And I, we became the greatest friends. That is trusting your intuition. Because I think sometimes when we say, or we hear like, you know, I just want to trust my intuition, get in touch with your intuition. It can come with this kind of unicorn fairy dust feel of if you're in touch with your intuition, you'll just know what to do with your life. And, you know, you'll be floating down the river on a pink lilo. And it's like, no, your intuition, usually in my experience, is telling you to go the opposite way than you want to is saying, uh, I'm not going to let you not see what's happening in the room right now. I'm not going to let you hide behind a cup of tea and a smile. Go talk to that girl. Yeah, yeah. It, you're, you're right. And that voice, that was great. I love the way you described it with that melodic voice as well. And it's true. It's not always this incredible blessing of an experience or an aha, and then the clouds open and the sun rays come casting down on you as gracefulness from the cosmos. It usually is these little niggles that help you step up to the occasion to be more sovereign to be, to have more self-agency, to be more vulnerable, uh, because how else are we going to learn? And I love that you said the word niggle, because that's been my experience of it as well, that it comes in niggles, it comes in those little hits. And for me, most of my experience has been, I feel the niggle, I ignore the niggle, I put on a face, I do a little dance, tell a little joke. (laughs) And then later on, the regret of not trusting that little voice is is the heavier experience, the more concrete experience that actually became one of my greatest teachers. When I would sit at the end of the day and be like, I'm, you know, putting on the mask didn't take away the discomfort. Now I'm left with a greater discomfort of knowing I should have said something, knowing I should have turned left instead of right, even though I always go right. But the voice was telling me to go left. And I went right and it was a nightmare. (laughs) But it takes little niggles and little experiences to build up to it, right? Yeah, definitely. For myself, what I've noticed as I've continued on the spiritual path, and I have to say that as I've I've continued on now into my 40s. The 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 intensity of it get is quite something. And so what I mean by that is I get thrown into chaos first. So something is all of a sudden there's an upheaval. It's as if the great mother is like, you know what? You don't have that many more years ahead of you. I'm going to give you the major thing. And then we're going to see if you're going to follow the niggles. So get this upheaval. And then it's up to me to make a choice. If I am going to start running ahead in survival mode, putting down action steps and trying to problem solve and use my mind Or will I actually stay in the chaos 
and just pause there so I can listen to the niggles in between all of the chaotic things. And if I can stay present and humble enough to just listen a little bit and even say, I don't know, and I'm really scared, I'm not sure what to do, but not run forward, um, then all of a sudden those niggles provide me with those steps. And ultimately I can move and weather through the storm and it becomes this most incredible understanding that I've ever had. Mm. There is definitely in the in-between. Yes, the chaos, the not knowing what to do. Our training, as you so beautifully said, is to lay down an action plan, isn't it? How am I going to step one, two, three myself out of this situation? And yet so often we're meant to sit in the chaos. I've had, and I, I so resonate with this experience of being brought chaos. And for me, chaos isn't, oh my goodness, I've got so much to do. <laughs> That's my happy place. I'm completely comfortable when I'm really, really busy, you know? <laughs> For me, the pandemic, when it hit and we all got locked inside, was my worst nightmare. <laughs> you know, and it's like <laughs> to be out and busy and meeting people and doing stuff. And suddenly everything just said, no, no, why don't, you, why don't you just sit and rest? And at the same time, my body went into a great leap into perimenopause and had a little breakdown because she wasn't getting what she needed. She was no longer creating the hormones that she needed to make me feel good and safe everything said, you need to sit in the storm. You need to figure this out, not by thinking about it, not by step one, two, three, not by taking another course, not by traveling. Every All of your crutches have gone. Now just sit and trust. And that was such a hard training. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to sit and trust because for me, even I've spent six months of my life before sitting on the side of a mountain meditating. And even that was easy because I could achieve like, oh, I meditated for 17 hours today. Tick, look at me, gold star. But to be in a space where it's chaos, there's no calm, no tick box of hours of meditation done, no clue why your world has been turned upside down. And the bravery, the courage to sit in that. That's the journey, right? It is. It is the beauty of the human experience. Those of us on the spiritual path who chooses to say yes to living the everyday, right? In the mundane, to allow ourselves to have all the feels, to witness our ego have all the judgments, to notice how we are not compassionately loving those folks that are in opposition than our own values and beliefs, and then still come back to a space of how do I live? How do I live in this, right? And so part of that is the chaos and the chaos to me are oftentimes those very valuable human um, experiences that are required for us in different stages of our life. Yes. And this is another, I want to say, lie of spirituality. There are many, but this is one of my most, it makes me grit my teeth and growl, is this idea that if you follow a spiritual path or you claim a spiritual life for yourself, that it will be forever expanding into beauty. <laughs> I mean, yes, it is. But the idea that this expansion will be comfortable or easy or 
do away somehow with any, and I'm going to put air quotes here, negative experience or negative feeling because everything is in that void. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, our life and our humanness is about understanding the paradox, right? Like, why else are we here if we're not here to understand the good and the bad, however way you want to put that, or the light and the dark, or whatever those things are, and noticing that through that, there is the other side of it, right? And so instead of polarizing ourselves from it, watching how that duality creates this harmonious experience within us. And so you're right. Often my my peeve too is the idea of bypassing the pain or this discomfort of not staying in your body, of not witnessing your body speak to you or moving through the emotions or learning how to identify the emotions and how they actually reside within you. So the complexity of that, even words and concepts that are thrown around like, oh, but you know, don't be negative or that's a limiting belief or if only you dropped into your worthiness. Like there's these words that are so rounded and vague, but if we can come to a place of understanding how they are crunchy within us, mm. we can then actually really honor the specific nature and frequency of that word and the lesson that comes through it. Because for each of us, it will be vastly different. Your idea of perfectionism will be vastly different than mine due to our lived experiences and the ways that they have been great teachers and have brought us pain only to then be able to reside where we are now in the great comfort and wisdom that we behold. I love to this idea of spirituality is incredibly individual. And I find it impossible for anybody to sit outside of somebody else's lived human experience and have a judgment over what they are experiencing. And yet so much in the kind of, um, I'm going to call it Instagram spirituality, it's such a teeny tiny little speck of a dust that people are expected to squeeze into. And it definitely comes with leave your, again, air quotes, negativity and bad vibes at the door. I mean, who gets to say what's a bad vibe for a start? Yeah, absolutely. And a bad vibe could be bad, meaning like bad. Well, can I curse here? Of course you can. (laughs) Okay, so a badass vibe, like a really fierce warrior, like it is intentional and deep and rich and sultry and savory kind of vibe as well, right? So to me, often when I think about bad or in the darkness, I think about where that to me is the greatest space that I love to be in because it is so rich and nuanced and textured and dense. And it has this sultry, very feminine, dark mother quality to it that helps us stay so connected to the earth rather than flying up and out of it. Mm. I spent a couple of years ago while I was in this pandemic breakdown of like, what am I <laughs> a priestess happened upon me and said, come and do some priestess training. And it was incredible because it was unlike any spiritual training that I'd ever done before that was very much about stay to the light side, move your thoughts to the positive, just release any anger, let it go so that, it was the so that, let it go so that you can reside in the light. There was so much focus on the light, which of course cannot exist without the dark. 
And here came this priestess who invited me in that training to get dark, you know, and really embrace it. And what I discovered in there was the unedited version of me who had not really been given her space at the table, who had not been allowed to speak. You know, and while I'm all for discernment and decorum and being polite, you know, there was a massive lesson in learning to sit with this side of me and just say, what do you think? Because what she had to think came with such powerful clarity, such energy. about that. What I love about that is even when we think about intuition, what is intuition and who resides at the table that broadcasts the intuition? Mm. So often I find that unless we go into a personal inquiry around intuition, what is it? Yes, it could be a body niggle. It could be a gut response. It could be just a knowing for sure. But where where is that message actually coming from? And so I always wonder for me, is it coming from those highest, fullest, expansive states of myself that sit at the table, meaning highest, fullest, expansive state, not meaning only that those that are in the light of the cosmos, let's say, but those that are part of the earth and the trees and the depth of the soil, the part of me that is angry and is such a warrior for the earth and for those oppressed, you know, the area of me that has been um, culturally and historically put me into silence, right? So if we all bring those facets of ourselves to the table, which is then us acknowledging the fullness of who we are, the multi-dimensionality we are, I wonder if they come together and they voice a particular thing, right? And it is through one of them kind of guiding from the purest nature, when we, as we talk about Lama Sultra and Aliyam talks about feeding the demon, when we feed our demons, not because we're afraid, but it needs to be fed, we've malnourished our demon, all of a sudden they become such a great ally and a resource. And so to me, intuition comes from them, really, which is these different parts of myself, whether I could fully drop in and feel them all the time or not, or some areas of me I haven't fully explored yet because there always are. But I wonder because my intuition always guides me in a direction that is curious and with unlimited possibilities and out of the mind experiences because I would never have thought of it from my mind. I wonder if it comes from those councils of of beings that are within me. Mm, You just reminded me of one of the first times I had therapy. (laughs) (laughs) just laying myself on the table (laughs) this wonderful therapist and at the time I'd started seeing this guy and um, discovered early into seeing him that he basically had lied and that he was not divorced from his wife he was still married and this was a major like values clash but I was so in love and oh my goodness what am I going to do let me go get a therapist and help sort this out and she told me and it was the first time I'd ever heard of it the story of the two wolves that inside your heart, there live two wolves. You know, she just said, you know, there's there's a black, dark one, which was, no thanks. And, you know, the white, light one, you know. And which one of them is going to live? I was like, I don't know. I've never heard this story. Which one lives? And, of course, she sat back, you know. She was a perfect therapist. She was even wearing tweed and said, you know, the one you feed, Wendy, the one you feed. And I took it to mean in a very... Um, positive, toxic positivity way 
oh, so I need to starve the wolf that's angry and really pissed off and knows that deep down that this is massively against my values to even be in this relationship. And I need to feed the light wolf, the one who's like, but he loves you and, you know, love conquers all and everything will work out great. I fed the crap out of that wolf and starved the dark wolf and ended up cutting off for myself that knowingness that this maybe wasn't the best relationship or the best life choice for me. And I think that's a mistake, right? When we get into this idea of like, again, it's the candy floss, you know, your intuition is going to be like the blue fairy and you're going to float down. It's like, no, very often your intuition is the voice that's saying, you, this is bullshit. No. (laughs) But because of our training as women, we cut off that voice. Yeah. And even just like the white wolf versus black wolf, I like just even looking at it from like a supremacy standpoint, right? How fascinating the layers of even our spiritual stories or practices sometimes and where they come from and the deep seated space in that. And also in that space of what you said, your other wolf was angry and it needed to be fed. And if you fed, then it would be nourished and it would be healthy and vibrant. And it will then tell you in probably a very different way that wasn't as scary, but would still say, this is bullshit. What are you going to do about it? (laughs) She'd still say, walk away. There is more love on the planet than just this human being. You're fine. But I love this idea of they both need food. This comes into shadow work now, right? Of there's this kind of old patriarchal idea of shadow work that your shadow is the voices that hide in the darkness and sabotage you and they're out to get you. And it's the part of you that's angry and cut off and didn't get enough candy as a child. And you must suppress it, you know, (laughs) which is just, how are we supposed to limp around if we carry the shadow like that? Whereas the feminine way of sitting with the shadow is this, right? It's there's two wolves inside of you. One that appears to be acceptable as we've been trained and another that appears to be unacceptable as we've been trained. And they're both hungry. Yes. Or even with shadow work, often it's this idea of not everyone, but I think the misconception is that you go and heal those parts of you. Like that deeply wounded and you must clear that immediately. So again, it's a little bit bypassy as well versus I often wonder, and when I work with my clients, we look at what if those those areas and those memories of us, if we looked at it from the lens of they're coming through in our now forefront of our consciousness due to the fact that they are the fullest expression of ourselves in that form so that we remember the memory, but they now have some information because we are older and we are wiser and we have the ability to make different choices. So if we stay in commitment, in relation, right? We talk about the elephant in the room of, I don't really want to be here. This was not a great memory. I'm not going to relive it. But maybe you're not here because you need to be fixed. Maybe you're actually here because you have information for me that I can then walk with. And so that creates a different light and relationship. And now you can feed and nourish and have that that younger self of you at the table. And you begin to build upon a better 
understanding of your lived experience that has created the teaching, which is now known as your wisdom, right? And so that wisdom is valuable for us because no one will have our wisdom because no one has walked this earth the way that we individually have. Mm, Yes, this shadow or this idea of past memories needing to be healed keeps us forever. I mean, let's face it. I know for myself, if I try to heal every dodgy situation or uncomfortable memory in my 47 years of life, it would take me the next 47 years of life. Instead of coming at it from this curiosity and openness of, okay, come to me now as I can sit here and make space to listen to you because I respect you and you have something to say. Absolutely. Now, of course, not not speaking of big T traumas that therapists mm-hmm. may work with to help support with whatever is coming up, but those ones that we are looking at that tends to be our go-to as to, quote, why we are the way we are now, that... Mm-hmm. <laughs> And that we all we also put blame on it, like, oh, but when I was six years old, my best friend told me I was nothing. And now I've carried it on. And I know that. And that's why I am the way I am. Well, maybe not anymore, because now I'm 44 years old. So I don't think that necessarily is the case, but it has become a crutch. So what can I look at that? Can I look at that and address it and look at my six year old and work with her and her tell me, actually, this is what you need to know right? At that time, you couldn't speak up. But because of that, you now know the pains and the fears that rose up because you were feeling unsafe. So what are you going to do about it now? Well, I'm going to create, I'm going to create braver sacred spaces for folks that are inclusive. Great. I've taken that lesson and I have turned it around to be of service. So I don't have to actually use that memory as a crutch anymore. Mm, Turning that shit into gold. So one of my excuses was Vicky Sloan. Hi, Vicky. Um, <laughs> told me when we were 12 years old in math class that I had a dog mouth. And it was such a confusing insult. To this day, I don't know what she meant, that it stuck in my head and became a source story. So I would hold back from, you know, approaching people I wanted to be romantic with or hold myself back even in my early acting career or even hold myself back from being a coach right now. And refer to this story of, well, you know, it's because Vicky Sloan said I had a dog mask, you know, <laughs> and it's been so cool to revisit that and look at it as you almost that sort of bird on the ceiling view of actually what happened here. There were two pubescent girls in a math class, and one of them said something trying to be funny to another one who took it way too seriously and carried it for way too long. And if yeah. there's something I can do here as an adult, it's understand that when women are confused about ourselves and when we get into comparison, we often, because we've been trained to do, lash out at each other. Yeah, absolutely. And in the lashing out of each other, the places here where if we can teach one another how to have these conversations of discomfort, meaning well, there's something about Wendy that is making me uncomfortable or I don't enjoy, I don't really like. What is that in me that I'm looking at? Why is that? Am I jealous about something? Is there something in Wendy that I don't necessarily have or that I haven't cultivated yet within myself? Like, what is that? 
Because when I work with my clients, what I realize is often those um, statements or those things that people have said are in direct relation to what that person's medicine is, what their profound innate gift is, right? So your friend might have seen how vi- how vibrant you were and the way that you would speak and the way that you would just light up the room, which is one of your natural ways of being. It is who you are, the way that you articulate things. And so naturally, there was some place in her that wanted to shut that down because it was so powerful and so luminous. How does one sit in that? And so same thing here, where if I was told to stay small, it was because there was this magnetic quality that seemed out out of this worldly or something didn't feel good to her in that way. So she brought it back down. And so now as adults, I think it's really great to have those moments of, ooh, yeah, I'm feeling a little ouchy around this thing, but I'm here to notice why that is for me. And I'm wondering if we continue to have this conversation because I know it's not you, but I'm curious now and I'm being very vulnerable about it, that it's creating some sort of prickles in me. Um, Maybe we can figure this out so I can meet you in the greatest, in the greatness of your natural essence that I'm having an issue with personally. Oh my gosh, how amazing would that be? That would be so incredible. And I think too, like an extension of this is that anytime we find ourselves kind of asking that permission, that how dare she, how dare she do that? You know, I find for me, that's been a great indicator that has inspired me to let go of jobs that I was done with, to have the audacity to move around the world, to have the complete audacity to marry someone 13 years younger than me. You know, how dare I? Because I found anytime I was judging someone outwardly for doing something or judging myself, like, how dare you even think that? It was a space that I wasn't letting myself inhabit. And it really pissed me off when somebody outside of me was inhabiting it. You can't just mill around the world, jumping from country to country, no secure job, just making money online. Who do you think you are? Oh, actually, my wildest freaking dream. That's who you are. Tell me. Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) That's called some pure honesty within ourselves, huh? The ability to ask ourselves, is this an internal problem or an external problem, is huge on a spiritual path. And just asking that question will help you develop a connection with your intuition. That in itself is a form of boundaries with yourself to stop before we react and allow ourselves the opportunity to respond in a way that leads to growth. If you want some help with boundaries, make sure you pop over to wendywindle.com to grab my free guide to building boundaries that get back time for you. You'll also receive weekly love notes from me packed with tips and advice to cheer you along your journey into some deeply satisfying self love, which frankly is the only spiritual practice you'll ever need. Sora and I are about to get into some honesty about how being spiritual turned us into a pair of judgy little bitches and how you can avoid that trap. And to me, I think too, like talking about the crunchiness of it, that takes discernment and practice because sometimes we're wrong right? Sometimes someone is just being a bit of a dick 
as we all can be a bit of a dick, you know? <laughs> so is that the habit of saying, wait, is that person being a bit of a dick? Or am I triggered by something in them that I'm not allowing myself to claim? Like, is this inward work here? Or is it actually, this is an opportunity to just set a really firm boundary of, I won't respond if I'm spoken to that way, just so you know. <laughs> Absolutely. And there lies our boundaries are connected, I believe, to our intuition. Like what is going to serve us and those around us well? And you need to know yourself in order to do that and be able to trust those niggles when there's a firm yet sacred no or a very much full-bodied yes or a what if, let's figure out another way or this even like going into a restaurant, for example, there are moments where I know everything looks fine, but I will say to my husband, no, we cannot stay here. This is not for me. And I'll be like, what, what? So I don't know why, but I'm going to listen to my body and I do not want to stay here. It's like, fine, we'll go somewhere else. That is a beautiful thing to bring up. You don't have to justify the nickel. You yes. don't have to justify what your body is telling you, right? Who cares if you're wrong? Who cares? The truth is you have a feeling right now in the moment and it is to be honored because so often we can't answer the question why, right? I know for me, I'm always feeling, I just feel a certain kind of way and I only get in trouble when I start inquiring in my mind, why is this? First of all, the mind is a consummate performer and storyteller, right? So she's going to start telling you stories of yesteryear that make sense to her. They're usually some kind of logical conclusion of that might have, ab in fact, usually have absolutely nothing to do with the feeling that you're having in your body and are just a dead end. Yeah. So why involve her? It's true. One of the greatest things that I do for myself is um, I find different spaces to enter to help support me in my blind spots or my preconceived notions, right? Because it's our mind that plays into everything from social media to what we're taught to what's in the newspaper to how we grew up and how we were educated. And so I'm currently in this group therapy and in a whole different arena and space that I've never been in. And I love it because the amount of preconceived notions I have was wild. I did not realize how much I had until I was able to go in and, and, and create this connection with folks. And that allowed me to be able to discern what was actually true versus what I thought was true because of other people's hidden agendas. So, yeah. Sora, how did you get started? Did you, did you, were you just born like this? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> Uh, -uh. <laughs> uh I began my spiritual path when I had a uh, my back gave out in my early 20s and during that time I was almost going to hit my um, Saturn return and everything just stopped working the way that I thought I was supposed to be working in the world based on my parents expectations and so I left everything and I actually traveled for six months down to South America. And it's when I realized that there was a different, there was another part of me that I did not know I had within me. Um, and so in that time period with my back and all that, I entered through yoga. 
So I was heavily involved in the yoga community, going through um, all of the different kind of practices. And I was really deeply involved in understanding the, the philosophy and the deep teachings, as well as the asana and the, the physical practice, but more it was that spiritual kimono that I was really loving. Um, and so I continued that throughout my years. And as I did, began to continue every year, notice how much my ego wanted to keep me in check and how much I thought I was better than and more awakened than. And it was very much, I was on my high horse for a very long time until I was brought to my knees with humility. And then that's when I really started to understand spirituality and the spiritual practices that were lying, it's laying itself before me. So it's been quite the process for sure. And still is. I too am a mess. So all is well. <laughs> I think the real secret is that we're all a mess. Right. Oh, yeah. And we all think there's just nothing but crap inside of here until we get around other people who go, oh, no, this is some gold, lady. I love this. <laughs> and thank you for sharing about the spiritual ego, because having been on that path myself of, you know, I came in through meditation and oh, the horse is high. That horse has some legs. <laughs> you know? And I was involved in a community where none of us realized how freaking conceited we were. You know, we really thought we were here to change the planet by being still and going in. We were completely ignoring everything that needed to change on the planet, by the way, completely ignoring our dark sides, our shadow sides, or anything that was that didn't feel like tricky positivity. In other words, if we weren't blissed off our tits, we were meditating wrong. <laughs> so yeah. And I mean, so, and I love being blissed out, right? For oh, sure. Great. <laughs> this with meditation, breath work, all sorts of different ways to access that. And yeah, uh, talk about, yeah, conceited. I get it. High, high horse. Yep. Yeah. And it's, it's wonderful to be able to experience those, those levels of, yeah, through breathwork, meditation, yoga, or even just hanging out in a room full of people who are tapped into that. It's incredible. But the humbling for me became, well, what are you going to do with it? Who's it for? Is it just for you? What are you going to bring in and out and through, right? Like rather than just allow, because it is, it's, it's such a selfish experience to only have it for yourself and then see yourself as more than because you had the experience. Look at everything that I know now. Look at how deeply I'm connected to the planet and to all the other celestial beings. Great, but you're here in this human form. So how are you going to take that information and transmission and do something, right? Where is that inner activist within you, your way? Whatever that means for you, you get to go on a personal journey of exploration of what that means. But we're all here on this planet for a reason. So maybe we stay here consciously and do something about it. And that's the joy for me of this spiritual journey, right? That you get to really feel, yes, there's a certain kind of spirituality where I can practically leave the planet you know like you don't really need to breathe or eat as much as you think you do you know <laughs> you were barely here but why do that you know we incarnated into a human body at this time why and I think for me I know we all a lot of people are born with that question why why are we here and there's 
many different traps and cul-de-sacs on our journey, right? You know, there's the consumerist cul-de-sac where we're just like, well, I'm just here to make money and buy stuff. And that can feel great. Or there's the, the cul-de-sac of, you know, when well, I'm just going to be a spiritual fairy, you know? <laughs> but that's a dead end too, because we came here to have really, truly to experience everything. What a blessing, really. We get to experience everything. Yeah, and even the why am I here question, I don't look at it in this big, broad meta perspective anymore. Like my my mind hurts because it's so mm. meta and it's part of my mind. I look at it from like a very intimate one moment at a time moment. Why am I here? Like, why am I here right now having this conversation with Wendy? You know, like that's curious. I don't need an answer. But just in this fact of, it creates this awe, this like wonder in me. Like, why am I and Wendy on this call right now together, having this podcast and having these types of conversations? I may never know the answer, but darn, doesn't that feel really good? It's very satiating right now. Okay, cool. That's why we're here. Because Wendy's conversation with me is satiating something that I have been yearning for for the past week because I had been sick. Mm. Great. Now I know why I'm here. It's the curiosity without expecting the answer, right? And for me, curiosity is one of my keys into the present moment. Anytime I realize that I'm frustrated or lost or just feeling those like, I want to push against the world, I've completely lost my curiosity. And it's not to say that curiosity will get rid, for example, of the feelings of frustrating or wanting to push against the world, but even having just the presence of heart to inquire, oh, I'm frustrated. Okay, why? The frustration doesn't necessarily go away, nor do I want it to, because that's spiritual bypassing. Instead, what's revealed to me is what is trying to put itself in front of my lens, an injustice usually usually an injustice I'm making against myself or an injustice that I'm supposed to bear witness and do something about. And for some, that word may be different. So for sometimes for me, instead of the why, because sometimes that can bring me back to my mind, it's I'm so curious, right? Like mm. this, or this feeling is really curious, hmm, is my question. Yeah. And that helps bring it into a space of, okay, I don't necessarily need an answer, but in that pause, often something will occur, not an answer, like not a solution, but something will shift at a, at some point in time very quickly. Whereas if I don't take that pause, I'm going to be spinning in that emotion for a very long time. Mm. And the tragedy of that, because I really want to be clear that None of our work, if you let me speak for you and tell me if I'm wrong, is about trying to push through emotions or push them away. And yet often emotion, a feeling of a crunchiness, a something, something's here, is here for a reason that we can't hear if we don't get present with it. It won't go away with Netflix and ice cream. I've tried. There's no amount of gin that will take away sadness. I've tried. It will still be there. When we get present with it, we get to sit with curiosity. Okay, I'm feeling this way. Okay. I wonder how long it will last. 
I wonder what message it has. Because in that moment is where there is information, right? In that moment is the is your intuition. So when you can pause long enough, there's a moment of deep knowing that occurs, an aha. Whether it's simply your body saying, okay, I'm better. Like it does a little shake or a little sigh or a sobbing cry with an inhale and then an exhale and it's done. And you're like, I'm done now. I can go and now cook dinner. Or there is some memory that pops up and you're like, oh, that, that's the connection. Thank you. Something will happen. And that insight, that intuition, right? Into me, I go like that intuition that, that comes through happens in that pause. Into me, I go. I love that description of intuition. Into me, I go, because that makes it so accessible. Because I often think too, intuition is painted as this divine voice from the angels that will kiss you on the forehead and you'll know, right? (laughs) I wish my intuition spoke to me like that. Often I have to make the first move. Into me, I go. Yeah, it's an internal motivator. It's not an external so if someone's coming across this and they just they're not sure about this whole spiritual vibe you know it just feels a bit woo woo term i'm not fond of (laughs) what would you say to someone who wants to just get started like what what does the beginning of a spiritual journey look like So for me, I find that a spiritual journey is simply being aware of your thoughts, your feelings, your actions, and coming to terms with um, taking, taking some time to explore. That's all I think spirituality is. So whether you want to call it mindfulness or looking at particular spiritual texts in all sorts of different areas, it's about internal understanding. And so if one is ready to no longer look through the lens of um, one who needs rescuing or and saying, oh, why? I just want someone to, to, to help me here. Or if you no longer want to put it on someone else and say, well, it's their fault. None of this is my fault. This is just a crap life that I've had. Or possibly you no longer want to save everyone, that you're so exhausted by trying to prove yourself by doing everything from everyone else, then it's probably time to no longer look at that conflict within yourself and rise above the occasion and begin to check in with yourself and notice why that's happening. Where is that coming from? And to me, that's a spiritual journey. I completely agree. And for me, that's when I was able to release because I try, you know, I've been like, I've been a born again Pentecostal Christian and I've been a meditation teaching monk. You know, I dive in, Sora. (laughs) You're all in. Honda was like, I let me just dive into this pool and see where it ends. (laughs) But when I release any label or practice, even meditation practice, the only practice that has remained is inquiry self-inquiry what's really going on here what could potentially be going on how am i feeling right now and i love that because anyone can start right now yeah it doesn't even need mindfulness even that is how do you explain mindfulness just just sitting 
and you know you will naturally breathe because you're alive and realizing what's already here yeah no matter what it is and if you were to take that into like a practice let's say for someone who's like but i'm beginning i don't really still know what that means it's too conceptual one of the things that I find really easeful to do is have a conversation with a friend and have them point out what word you often use. So for example, someone might use the word unfair a lot or use the word fine or use the word uh, that's interesting or use the word not for me, whatever the words are. If you can take whatever that word comes up commonly for yourself, especially the one when you're feeling tension of some sort, I say, go ahead and go on a curious journey with that word. Look it up. What does the meaning of that word actually mean? How does it feel in your body? When do you notice you use that word? In what context? Uh, when, when do you remember the first time you use that word? Do you have parents that used to use that word all the time? Like, where is that coming from? And you'll find yourself feel, finding a different, an ability to see that word in a, a very nuanced way that has layers to it. And that will help you if it's a word that creates tension, begin to have an understanding of what's the other word when you're liberated from that tension. Not that the tension is bad, it's simply, okay, if you're feeling that, if you're feeling, I'm feeling really um, anxious, what does that actually mean, right? Okay, well, actually the opposite of that in my liberated state is, I feel a lot of creative flow. Okay, so then there's a connection there for you, not for everyone else, but that's where we get to get become really self-aware. I hear so many people say, I'm just anxious right now. I'm overwhelmed, right? I'm stressed. What does that mean? So mm. if you get curious, that's self-awareness. Mm, I love how simple and practical that is and how tied into science it is as well, because linguistics have an effect effect on us you know and if anyone listening to this is going like what simply take a word that you consider to be negative maybe hate and put your attention on it said a few times in your head and check in with how it makes your body feel check particularly i find the chest and the stomach around the abdomen are usually good places to put your attention see how that feels and then simply put your attention on the word love or if, if that's a negative for you, think of a positive word for you, something you really, it could be ice cream, something you really associate with positivity. And just put your attention on it, say it a few times. And again, just check in with yourself and see if you can experience something in your body simply by focusing on one word and then the other word. Because there is an effect words matter and again Sora thank you for calling people into communion on this spiritual journey <laughs> you can sit in your room by yourself or you can go grab a friend and say be my mirror what do I say how do I act be honest with me it's going to be uncomfortable but be honest with me I would love to know I'm sure everyone listening would be too what is some shit that you either no longer do for love or you're going to commit to no longer do for love. What shit you do for love is going to stop. Ooh, that's a good one. 
So one of the things currently, um, my partner and I have been committed this year to really dive into that next awareness of our relationship, right? So not because anything necessarily is wrong, but we're like, why not? If we are going to be in this human experience, we might as well learn a couple of things together. And one of the things that I noticed was that in part of an archetypal energy with partnership, I took on the role when I was younger with my parents of being the kid who was an adult, an adult child. So my parents were immigrants. I had to um, do everything. Basically, I had to read legal documents. I had to go request things. I was the translator. I also made sure I did my homework. I cleaned around the house. I did. I took care of my brother, who was seven years younger than me. And so I became an adult and they their positive feedback was, I don't need to worry about you. Look at you. You can take care of everything. Thank you so much. You're such an asset to the household. And so in the relationship, I noticed that I do that too, that I used to take on everything, right? And then I would get really upset because why do I have to do everything? I now have become the mother with my husband becoming what I felt like was an adolescent. I was taking care of a child Mm -hmm. and that isn't the relationship that neither one of us wanted to have in our marriage. And so that's one of the things that I'm looking at and noticing how, what, by being aware, I can shift my actions or even the things that I do unconsciously that have created friction instead of a harmonious uh, relationship where we give to one another with respect and love. That is such an incredible thing to share. And I'm sure so many light bulbs are going off for people right now going oh my goodness yes because that archetypal role that we had as children and i'm feeling you on that as well my dad said to me recently we don't worry about you and i felt so it felt like the biggest gold star pat on the head until i walked away from that conversation and went actually what (laughs) worry about me please as much as you do my brother like check in <laughs> but I really yes. created that by being the good girl who was never any trouble. Sora, I have thank you for inviting me to um sit down on the floor with you, cross-legged and eye to eye. It's, it's been, been so fun. Sora's a bit cool, isn't she? I love that she reminded me to sit cross-legged on the floor with her because that's really how coaching works. This hierarchical thinking of I am lonely and broken and must seek out someone greater than me to tell me what to do. That's just, well, it's old school. It's patriarchal and it needs someone in that equation to have forgotten about their own power instead of more feminine way of coaching the way Sora and I coach is to sit with a person and hold them in their greatness to see a vision for your clients that they can't even see for themselves yet and to teach your client how to claim back their own power that's what sovereignty means that's why coaching the feminine way is so transformational because it gives you the client not just the tools and tricks and strategies they're important they're an important piece of the puzzle My job, though, is to lead you back to a place where you believe in yourself, where you can trust yourself and where you're endlessly curious about who you are and what magic you can create every day without me. Otherwise, you'd be addicted to me. And that's not good. That's not coaching. 
If you want to know more about what Sora does, please roll around in the cozy blanket of her world over at her website, devotedway.com. I'll pop a link in the show notes. She's got quizzes and all sorts of yumminess over there for you. Coming up next, I will make a solo episode about some of the things that we got into here, like spiritual bypassing. Don't get me started. Too late. I'm starting. I'll see you in the next episode of Shit We Do For Love. Hey, I bloody love you.